Welcome to another figure week, park surface week, organic week. Hey everyone, my name is Ahmed Aldouri. I'm a concept artist and former instructor at Art Center College of Design, Brainstorm, CCS, CGMA, and various other places. And I would like to introduce to you this digital painting course that I've created. But before we get into anything, I just wanna thank you for the support you've all given me this whole time. And with the support of so many of you, I've been able to put together everything I know about painting into this digital painting course. You want to become a pro, illustrator, concept artist, or even just a hobbyist, but you don't have a clear map to get there. And that's where I come in. I spent the last six months compiling everything I know from my 20 years of art practice, and I've turned it all into a map. Starting with foundations such as rendering shapes, color theory, painting basic subjects, understanding brushwork, brush economy, all that fun stuff, deconstructing the skull, drawing it from every angle, Angle, all the way to master studies, stylized painting, and you'll find yourself at the end of the course doing a concept art project based on everything that we learn in the first 14 lessons. So how does it work? Well, you sign up, you watch the lectures, do the assignments, post them to the community page if you want, and treat it as a self-study, except for those of you who have signed up for the weekly meeting where I personally critique your work in a virtual classroom setting. I believe learning by repetition is super important. That's what I've sort of presented a lot in this course, and the assignments are tailored for that, as adapted from my time teaching at Art Center. And each of these lessons have step-by-step -step explanations in real time. If you've ever seen my videos, you know exactly how I teach. And this course is intended to be a substitute for a college level course, but you don't have to pay the four or $5,000 per class, racking up maybe 200K in debt. With my custom design course, you'd be paying a fraction of that. And of course, I also have payment plan options if you don't want to pay for the whole thing at once. Thank you for watching this and I'll see you soon. Hey guys, and welcome back to Digital Artcast again. Thanks again for tuning in. Um, I hope you guys had a good holiday break and a good Christmas. Uh, welcome back to the next year. Hoping this one will be a little bit better than the last one, but God knows at this point, God knows. Um, today, we are speaking to uh, a living legend of my eyes and someone that I've worked to have on the podcast for a long time, mostly because I'm just such a huge fan of him and the world he's created uh, and everything surrounding. Um, if you guys can welcome along today our amazing guest, Mr. Lauren Lanning. Hey, Lauren. 
Hey, hey, Gordy. Thanks for having me on, man. And uh, so, I, is Gordy what you want to be called, or should I say Gordon? I always want to be correct. Oh my God, this is hilarious because we just interviewed Carla Ortiz, and I said to Carla that like she was the first person about five years of me doing this podcast who actually asked what I want to be called. Yeah. And now you're the second person in the space <laughs> of a month, so that is spooky. Well, yeah, Gord, Gordy's fine. Yeah. Okay, good. So because uh, I, I, what happens to me is sometimes like um, mm -hmm. I'll be talking to an artist right and i'll get to know them over the years but i've only read their name and like so let's say like with uh bobby cho you know right uh yeah it, 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 and then i'd say and i'd say wait a minute and people say why are you saying his name wrong because i was saying chew because mm. that's how i was pronouncing it and no one would ever correct me right. so i asked bobby and this has happened to me many times so bobby's just the example and bobby's a great mm. great friend mm. and talent mm -hmm. is i was mm -hmm. like What's the proper pronunciation? He goes, either way, man. And I'm like, no, it's not. But you just don't want to tell me I'm saying it wrong. Like, don't let me keep saying it wrong. You know, people all yeah, the time yeah. are like Lorne or Loren. Or, oh, you know, okay, right. right? Yeah. And it's like, it's I, Lauren, I, I, right. just, yeah. Yeah, I don't say like, well, whatever you want. I'm like, it's Lorne. Yeah. Keep, keep yeah. So that's happened to me a lot. So I, I push the point yeah. of like, come on, man. Am I am I saying it right? Am I calling? Yeah. But uh, yeah, it, it, you got to be careful with that shit. But uh, yeah, 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 man. I, I never get corrected, which is really a curse, you know. Yeah. Well, <laughs> okay. well, thank you for thank you for asking. It's very appreciative. So well, yeah, you yeah. bet, man. Yeah. So um, now I I know you super well, and I've researched you a bit, and I've you know been a fan of of you in general for a long, long time, and the things you've created. But for oh, people nice. who don't know, for people who don't know, yeah, can you kind of give a quick summarize of um, kind of who you are and what you do at, at, sure. the, at the moment, anyway? Sure. Um, so I'm my, you know, Lauren Lanning. I'm a game designer. I was co-founder of Outer World Inhabitants. We started in 1994. I started with a partner, Sherry McKenna. We were working together at Rhythm and Hue Studios in Los Angeles, which um, the last films I saw getting done there was like back in the uh, Babe was like mm -hmm. I, that was shortly George Miller's uh, talking, mm -hmm. you know, animals. And yep. uh, so they did a lot of award-winning work at Rhythm and Hughes uh, later on, yep. you know, uh, mm -hmm. uh, Pi, Life of Pi and all, all kinds of, mm -hmm. you know, lots of Academy Awards and stuff. Mm -hmm. So that was an interesting experience. I was doing that for about five years. Before that, I was in aerospace visualizing weapons using 3D mm -hmm. graphics because at the time, basically, most people didn't know how to use it. So it was an opportunity to go in on some highly crazy yeah. classified shit yeah it was kind of an amazing experience and uh mm -hmm. there was an interview that you had mentioned earlier gory on uh, ars mm -hmm. technica where i go into you know mm -hmm. more more detail on that and that's a really long interview but um yeah but that was very eye-opening on a lot of levels uh i mm -hmm. went to school in new york not mm -hmm. knowing what to start in and in my first year of college I realized I had to make money and I would mm. always believe like the only way I'm ever going to make money is through art because at least I had artistic skills and always kind of shined yeah. at that and enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. And so we got into, um, we got in, I got into understanding then how do you make money with art? And that made, made me first realize <clears throat> I'm in the wrong school. I need to go to a professional illustration school. So mm -hmm. then I, uh, after the first year of college, I went to school of visual arts, focused in on mm -hmm. photorealism which mm -hmm. later became photorealism painting, which was my focus for illustration, commercial illustration. And right. um, in the course of that, started to realize like what you, what you actually do and how artists make actually make money. And this was in the mm -hmm. mid eighties. I, I, I went to, 
college in 1983, I began. And, uh, mm-hmm. and then I realized computers were going to take over and that's kind of a long story, but I realized it and I was afraid that I would <laughs> be broken on the street and homeless like so many other people in New York at the time. Right. And so I packed, packed my bags and, uh, after a brief stint in the fine art world, working for the guy, Jack Goldstein, running a studio mm-hmm. and making his paintings. Um, mm-hmm. and he was my favorite artist in the fine art world, like at the big time, you know, I was seeing his works in, uh, right. The Whitney Biennial and the modern museum in New York and, you know, like major level level stuff. But then I, I worked for yeah. him for a while and, uh, and then I realized, okay, well, the future with computers is out in LA, moved out to LA to get into mm-hmm. the industry. Um, the industry mm-hmm. of computer graphics had just crashed. Uh, this was in the beginning, mm-hmm. like shortly after films like uh, Last Starfighter, which actually my partner, Sherry McKenna, did the, uh, produced mm-hmm. the effects for. Um, and other th- other things like uh, Labyrinth and, you know, things that were using mm-hmm. early CG in that day. And so that, mm-hmm. was, that was why I wound up in it. Aerospace was because there was no work in LA because the three biggest computer graphics companies that were the whole reason I moved out there uh, had mm-hmm. had folded up because of you know just uh, public company money buyouts and shady yeah, shit yeah. here and there, and so the uh, the greatest talented places in in the, on the West Coast uh, aside from PDI who was up in uh, up in uh, Palo Alto because they were right. amazing and of course yeah. you know the the efforts that were going on in lucas arts that pixar was mm-hmm. born out of but we're talking i'm at a, at a period now when i'm in california where pixar is still trying to sell medical imaging equipment for MRI, mris right yeah yeah. right so it was yeah. like they yeah, yeah. you know they had a dream but it, it was it was far from manifesting and mm-hmm. jobs hadn't invested yet uh mm-hmm. so so that's a short roundup of the history but it all interconnects because of uh exp- and I, and I grew up a lot, largely in New England, where I spent a lot of time mm-hmm. with nature and things like that, which really in, uh, had a huge impact on how I looked at production design, uh, anatomy, right. and yep. behavioral, uh, behavioral, you know, sort of mm-hmm. I would call low-level AI, how, how things yep. behave, how to make life forms that are virtual look like they're more alive, mm-hmm. how to make them more compelling. Mm-hmm. That became a big focus of mine in the creation of Oddworld. And yep. um and Oddworld's still going. We just released uh, the Xbox version of Soulstorm re- recently, and mm-hmm. um, that's that's getting a really nice critical review. And mm-hmm. um, and then there's a lot of other things on the plate for Oddworld, but also focusing uh, more on other alternatives of of uh, emerging media and cross media and things like this. So yep. it's yep. a really interesting time, and I think that's my two second review. And I became partners with Sherry McKenna <laughs> in '94, and still are partners we share yeah yeah, yeah. Well, that's yeah. great i mean it's a lot to cover right that's a whole um you know i'm, I'm talking to some people who are like in their early 30s maybe late 20s sometimes yeah. you know and they're just kind of at the cusp of their career like it's just starting to really take off yeah but you've been at the forefront of technology and your career for like you know a while now i don't want to get i don't want to insult you you've been for a while longer so i started doing 3d animation in uh 86 Okay, nineteen eighty six. Yeah, I was just born. <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes I was working with, with uh, you know, uh, like in mm-hmm. Soulstorm, I was working with a number of teams across the world, you know, and I'd be working mm-hmm. with them, and, and it was kind of ironic. They were like, "When did you start in graphics?" And I was like, "How old are you?" And 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 they'd say how old they were. I was like, "Well, imagine mm-hmm. eight years before you were born, I was right. I was art directing CG. Wow, <laughs> it's right. like so your entire but life. This has been my career. yeah." yeah. 
but it's good though as well because at least at the age you're at you know you're running the studio you're running your own production i mean there's so many people who get bogged down into that where like they're kind of they're just another cog in the machine for the most of their life right they just work on cg films and and for some people that's fine that's what they want but at least you've you've ventured out and got your own piece of the pie right you're making your own thing yeah we uh you know it's it's kind of interesting i think when we look at artists throughout history for the most part art was uh paid for you know you go back into the rembrandt and previous right mm-hmm. art was very expensive to make uh people mm-hmm. someone had to go gather the spices and the flowers and all the colors to make the oils to make the paint like it was a to carry to mine the the uh yeah. marble for you know da vinci and and yeah. so it was a largely a elitist sponsored and you were still a cog and you couldn't really mm-hmm. get out of it. You know, Rembrandt yeah. was the one who started making the most money. And then mm-hmm. you get into the 20th century and you got, you know, Picasso, uh, mm-hmm. who, you know, was one of the richest artists ever before he died. And then you have, mm-hmm. uh, like, uh, uh, there's artists today that will be much richer when they die. Oh, of course. Fin- yeah, fine yeah, yeah. World. But so things change, but really like digital art and games, uh, mm-hmm. games and visual effects sort of created a new opportunity for artists. And then you have people, mm-hmm. you know, film directors are artists too, right? They're just mm-hmm. focused on story and cinematography and actor performances. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. um, but when you look at it and I saw like, you know, Lucas and, and, uh, Spielberg, who I had a lot of respect for uh, mm-hmm. in their craft making, you know, I think you have to just be, yeah. you know, you might not like the films, but the craftsmanship is unbelievable. And um, and it was like, they were becoming billionaires. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, you know, what an opportunity like never before in history. And today, like more artists are, well, let me put it this way. When I went to school at School of Visual Arts and started in 84 at the visual arts mm-hmm. for a few years. And, uh, and then yeah. I later went to Cal arts in California to study animation at basically Disney right. school, but, um, uh, and, and film effects. But mm-hmm. at that time you would be told in, in the room of what was arguably, you know, uh, one of the three top art schools in the world. And, mm-hmm. and, and in that room, the professionals would be saying, you know, we're, we're talking to a big room, like maybe it'd be like a, a visiting artist or something like that. And they're like, mm. one out of a hundred of you might be able to survive as a career as an artist. The rest of you are going to have oh, to wow. take other jobs and maybe you'll be painting on the weekend. Like, that's how it was. They were like, there are two companies in this country that really pay full-time mm. artists. And, and, um, and because I think a lot of these guys didn't understand that aerospace was already doing that, automotive industry yeah. was already doing it, but it was very, it was more engineering visualization instead of um, uh, art, right? And that was Walt Disney right. and Walmart, uh, Hallmark cards. So if you wanted okay. a full time job as an illustrator, you could go work at one of those two companies. And that was kind of the standard. And, yeah. and so it was grim, man. So I was, uh, mm-hmm. You know, watching New York decay into crack cocaine and insanity and yeah. seeing more and more people becoming homeless and not having, mm-hmm. you know, when my parents died, I got left a bill, not an inheritance. Right. So, okay. you know, there was no there was no safety net at all. And yeah, of course, it made me very cognitive of um, the world gets to be a more expensive place. If you don't figure out how to swim in it, you'll drown in it. And, yeah. uh, and I got excited about the opportunities and reading a lot of business stories 
of mm-hmm. of like at the time japan was smoking it uh in, in mm-hmm. the business world we find out later mm-hmm. largely because of fraud but um yeah. and corrupt uh practices that weren't being ex- exposed <laughs> and so everyone right. thought you know japan was the most brilliant and they were rocketing and so i was reading like my bridge to my bridge to america <laughs> which was the uh founder of minolta and you know just stories <laughs> about like big business you know lucas's stories <laughs> and other other <laughs> big business people's stories not because i wanted to be like a huge capitalist or anything like that but i did <laughs> hope to overcome the economic barrier where you're worried about your future all the time you know if if of uh you know, you've seen a lot of tragedies in your life, and I did. So I was like, I don't want to yeah. be like that. You know, so how do I make money? Yeah. With and now we're in a world mm-hmm. today where, how many digital artists in the world? And and oh yeah, what happened? YouTube especially. And... Yeah, yeah. So I'm thrilled to see that because in my own lifetime, I got to see a the class change. of craftsmen and artists that throughout history had had very few opportunities like really few and then we we get here and as we emerge into the 21st century it's like someone talented today in animation modeling uh you know the whole spectrum of role in an art pipeline anyone who's really good at that should have no problem getting work today unless yeah you know as i was told when i was a kid there are people that are better than these artists that i work with i was told this by mm. uh, art directors and stuff right there mm. are people that are better but they're assholes and I don't want to work with them. So you don't have to yeah. be the best as long as you know how to work with people and you're, and you're a team player and uh, you know, yeah. when you're fun to work with, I'll, I'll work with mm-hmm. you, even though there might be someone better who's a jerk. I don't want to work with a jerk. So I was like, huh, you know, okay. <laughs> I don't have to be the best, but I'm going to, I'm going to try, you know, not because mm-hmm. I want to ha- have to beat anyone, but I think uh, healthy competition is really good for, you know, polishing up your chops. Right. Of course. And, and the great thing I think about the art world, and it goes with the game industry too, is that uh, unlike Hollywood, which is star-driven and mm-hmm. it kind of as as filthy, corrupt, and you know, bordering on mm-hmm. demonic as you can get, just listen yeah. to testing what what just happened with Britney Spears, right? It was all in front of our yeah, faces of for years, and then you find out she's actually kind of a slave. Um, mm-hmm. So the dark side of Hollywood was something. Not that I got too deep into, but I got some insights into what was going on. And I was like, wow, mm-hmm. um, that was that was its own revelation. It's like, but it was locked up. It was it was kind of like if you didn't feel like you had family that was in the industry, you know, everyone wants to be a star. Everyone wants to be making movies. Everyone wants to right. be a writer. And and oftentimes it depends on, you know, if you went to USC film school, you, you got surrounded by a, a good crowd or Harvard uh, mm-hmm. film school or, you know, mm-hmm. um, Yale. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the high end of that. And it, it, if you were connected to that, you had a much better chance. You had something to look forward to. If you had an inheritance right. coming, you had something to look forward to and you could take more chances. I just felt like it was desperation of climbing a tightrope with a bunch of a pit of crocodiles down below. Yeah. To <laughs> your, your, your weekend I, stuff, I mean, that's kind of also where the American system is kind of as highest and lowest, because I know within Europe, there's enough practices in place because we've been well, we've been a continent and a, a country for a bit longer than you guys. But but yeah. there's enough practices in place that like if you're sick across here, you know, and you're poor, you can get treated. If if you're homeless, there's there's sometimes well, not always, but there is mostly homes. But with like America, it really is sink or swim, right? Like if you don't yeah. swim, you're destined to sink. And that you know, I, I saw a, a, a recent documentary. And it was about a guy who was you know working in, in the IT for so many years, at a really high pace, and then he burnt out and had a, a panic attack and loads of other things and. He was now living in his car by the freeway in the 405 because, you know, he could work. But then at the same time, he couldn't afford to live anywhere. 
and they yeah. had no medical insurance or cover. So, like, you know, you're only like one medical debt bill away from like basically. Well, that's how I felt. America. You know, that's how I, yeah. I, I, I grew up feeling that way. And it didn't help that my father was uh, nuclear subs for his a big part of his career. It was like 17 years, I believe, in nuclear right. submarines through the Bay mm-hmm. of Pigs and Cuban Missile Crisis and all this crazy shit. You know, so oh, he used wow. to tell me as a kid, cool. future wars will be fought over clean water. I was like, wow. You know, so oh, yeah, yeah. five and six yeah, here. Yeah. And this shit. It was like, <laughs> we're not going to make it. You know, and at that time, it was all yeah, like yeah. nuclear. You know, they were, how are we not going to blow each other up? And uh, yeah. so, so yeah, it's a, it was a sense of desperation, of survival. And it's funny because oftentimes I do, you know, fortunately, I've been able to go all over the world and meet all kinds of people and games are international, you yeah. know. And um, of course, in the course of that, it is interesting because Americans are conditioned to be like you're either going to be a cog in a wheel or you can be an entrepreneur or you can be a complete mm-hmm. you know you lost it all and uh yeah. and we celebrate the winners but we don't really mention the losers you know so if you look at how many people failed in silicon valley you you don't mm-hmm. that's not really a statistic anyone wants to hear we want to hear about you know how bill gates did and, and how zuckerberg yeah, yeah. and all these people made you know fortunes but of course, there are so many more that lost everything. You know, mortgage their house, yeah. hoping that next VC deal would come through, and and so yeah. and, so California was really interesting because if you got into the industries of like entertainment or venture tech venture, the yeah. road was paved with bodies of those who tried before, and none of them are sung <laughs> heroes, right? And then yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. there's a few gleaming lights out there, and everyone's like, yeah, but it's kind of like turtles heading for the street light. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. going trying to reach their breeding ground, and then thinking it's the moon, and then getting run over in the in the road. No, uh, yeah, it's ridiculous, man. Yeah, but then it's, it's, it's one of these things. Well, I was going to say it's one of these things where I mean there is. There is some hope that's always gleaned. I mean, for me, when I was you know, working through college and trying to, because I changed careers, right? I was an engineer till I was 28, and then I left to go back and chase my dream. I mean, I've done it now. I'm working for, that's for a match, great, you know. That's a great preconditioning for, for being a technical artist, though. Oh, yeah, totally. Being an totally. engineer, But then, yeah. like, guys I was watching who were inspiring at the time was, I mean, you can't probably see it in my arm because it's, like, covered, but I've got a Monkey Ellen tattoo up <laughs> yeah. on my arm for Guybrush. Right but then, on. like, Tim Schafer, right, who runs Double Fine, I remember sure. I watched his recent documentary when they were starting to make psychonauts 2 and he talked about the first one and how xbox like basically pulled the rug from under them like a year out before they finished after grinding on it for four years and yeah. like i mean it's just so easy for it to just change like that right just well, the whole thing just to collapse you know funny you should mention tim because uh, a uh, a i'm a huge fan and then uh, b i like to consider him a good friend um but mm-hmm. at that time we were kind of going through that journey uh, as parallel independent developers that were working on the Xbox. Oh, of course, because you do make an odd world as well. Yeah. 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 And, uh, mm. and you know, I mean, Tim was a, a legend in the industry before anyone heard who I was. And so I was kind of enamored mm-hmm. from those LucasArts games and stuff. But of course. what I can tell you, if you, if you watch a, uh, there was an, there was a, a film about releasing the Xbox, I think, you know, like a documentary and they highlighted, right. uh, they highlighted people that were in, involved with that launch and uh, it's mm-hmm. funny because of the end and an, uh the anniversary i just did, did like three more interviews for different different uh uh outlets mainstream outlets that are covering the you know the history of the xbox but um at yeah. that time we were all going through the independent unless you had mega hits the independent uh game development companies were going through major challenges and mm-hmm. and deals structures were changing so you wound up like you were working a lot more but you 
probably mm-hmm. might make a lot less. And that was right. just like and expectations of game getting better. Why are you buying a new console? Because games are better. That means games going to be more expensive. That means conditions and deals get tighter. And if you watch that video, right. there's some scenes where they're at Double Fine and they're mm-hmm. you know talking to their team, and uh, and it was. It was like my heart broke because I knew exactly how they were feeling. You know, you're trying to keep a team motivated, but you're facing like these, you know, Mack trucks yeah. heading right at you. And and uh, and so I could just feel uh, empathetically feel for what was going on there. And, and you know, right. if, you, if you're able to watch that and you watch Tim Schaefer and his executive producing mm-hmm. partner, you know, talking to the group, mm-hmm. you can feel there's this uneasiness. And we were living it at the time as well. <laughs> so uh, anyway, I'm a huge fan of Tim's. But, yeah, it was difficult. Yeah. Fortunately, he got his uh, he got his uh, pot at the end, of, pot of gold at the Eventually, end of the day. You know? Eventually, yeah. That and, thing, and it, I, yeah. And selling to Well, I was just going to say the E3 last year was – totally unexpected i mean i knew phil was really on the the war path to like just buy every property he could but in that video they put in double fines individual youtube where he was like on black and white and it was all moody and the, you know the rain was going he was like yeah microsoft just approaches with a big pile of money and we said yes <laughs> like, yeah that was what yeah. he came up to he was like yeah that was the that was the end result so it's, it's um, so so it's funny it's yeah. like you know and tim's great at at one-liners and stuff, but I think that was like a ten-month mm. deal in the workings. Like none of these of things, unless you're super big money money maker, then they all line up and mm. they're all trying to give you their candy, yep. you know. But um, yeah, that was a that was a long deal to to make, and mm-hmm. he stuck it out, and they stuck it out, and mm-hmm. people just can't. It's hard to imagine how hard their mm-hmm. journey was, you know. And oh, yeah. I, only, I only say their journey because. Uh, we're talking specifically about double fine, but largely it was almost most mm. independent developers and most didn't survive. Yeah. You know, it was, it was that difficult and there were smart people, talented people. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Tim, I think just, I mean, his brain is just full of so many stories, right? So you're always going to get some <laughs> great stuff, but it's, it's finding the investors. But then I think what they were smart was when they brought on their business manager who started to make, you know, like Korean deals for like re-releasing certain games or like mm-hmm. making PC versions of stuff or stuff that would basically keep them going. And of course, like the Kickstarter, right? The Kickstarter, changed the way that that worked and he raised three million and so i mean he's although he might not seem it because he's quite sometimes introvert he is savvy with business like he has have his head on kind of swivel where he sees opportunities and jumps them when he needs to because even Mm -hmm. the fact that he left lucas arts to go start double fine was a big gamble as well and and that's right even though there's interviews when for back in the day people still get emotional talking about when that game got cancelled like it's it's still ingrained in them yeah yeah well, you know, big impact in the history of gaming, Tim, in his, his work and yeah. what they did from, you know, yeah. pre-Double Fine from Lucas to mm-hmm. Double Fine. Yeah, it's a, it's a good story. There yeah. should be a book someday, and I'm sure there's a lot of details there that many of us never heard. I need, uh, I need to get your, your Rolodex out, uh, Lauren, at one point. You need to try and get a hold of Tim for me again. <laughs> I've interviewed about five people for that studio, and I've never been able to get Tim on, so really? he's, the next, okay. he's the next one on the pegging order. But yeah, okay, yeah. let me make a note. Um, we'll, but yeah, we'll, so... Uh, yeah, I'll try to write, write it down if, for later. If he's he's probably got <laughs> illustrations of himself sitting on a deserted island with a martini. Yeah, you know. but, yeah. Uh, I was happy for him when I saw um, him. Very happy. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. We all were definitely. But then, so yeah, so going back to you, because uh, yeah, know, we can't obviously glaze over the fact that you've also had this huge impact on the gaming world. I mean, Oddworld 
for me, you know, Ave's Odyssey was a huge thing at the time, and you know, because it was so different, right? It was, it was what you were expecting. It was no the normal thing that was coming out. The shooter, the racer, the you know, your your game had a brain, right? It was trying to tell a story about nature, the way we interact with animals, uh, cultures of the past that we've obviously bastardized. But you know, like there's a whole, you know, because you talked about how nature made you see things differently, and you That's talk right. about in the Ars Technica thing as well about how. You know the the chanting, the idea that you didn't want to give Abe a gun, and that was a problem you had to solve really early on. And I mean, that whole thing looking back now must seem like a blur. But then some of the fondest memories you probably got, right, of making games. <laughs> Not really. It's like games. Oh, okay. Is, uh, <laughs> games are. I I hear a lot of people go, "Oh, I love making games." I don't know. I usually <laughs> think they're full of shit because. It's it's kind of like saying I love getting whipped and beat up and dragged down the street. You know, it's really hard unless you have like out of the gate smashing success. You know, like uh, Notch yep. or something. You know, Minecraft. But um, mm-hmm. uh, it, it it it's just really difficult. And the pressures. It's like you have a number of converging factors if you're getting your own stuff financed, and you know you're in that loop. Yep. No. And so you have pressure from investors, pressure from the market, pressure from your teams, pressure to hire an increasingly competitive uh, yeah. hiring practices industry, pressure to get talent mm-hmm. and learning mm-hmm. new things. Like I went to art school, so I didn't I didn't go to business school. So I didn't learn how to manage people. I didn't right. learn any of those skills. I had to just try and pick them up from you're the business reading. books, though. Like and by the way, just to interject, your art book collection is one of the most impressive things I have ever seen in my life. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, it's something where <laughs> My deepest passion is research. It's, you know, right. it, it really is. And out of research, that's that's where I really find the, you know, uh, the stones to build a, a house out of, you know. And, um, of course. And that is, it's really exciting for me. It's like a long time ago, I had to sit back and go, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. I was I was so paranoid about not making it that I just I just had an ethic where I was like, no matter what, even if I'm only being employed forty hours a week, I'm going to work eighty hours a week, and the rest of the time will be mm-hmm. my own learning, or I'll have the key to the mm-hmm. office and I'll be able to get in there and use those Unix machines that no you know no one right. my age could afford. They were like eighty thousand dollars a piece back then, and software was oh, another wow. eighty thousand dollars. So it was like you didn't <laughs> you didn't own those computers like you can own now. Like your gaming machine now is a yeah. production machine, right? But it wasn't like that. Of course. And so I was so paranoid about it that I was working so much that I wasn't really weighing as much of what do I enjoy? What what part of the process mm-hmm. do I enjoy? Because I I kind of learned early that uh I don't want to you know, people say, well work work smarter, not harder. And it was like, mm. yeah, that's a good idea, but really you're gonna have to it depends on how far you want to go. And if you really want to go far, right. you're gonna have to work smarter and harder. Right. Like that's really it. There's no, there's no, I I have not seen an easy medium except where someone is unstoppably prolific. And that would be like a Mark, uh, uh, Mark, the the guy who created, uh, uh, walking dead. So, you know, he was a comic book. Oh, God. He's got a company skybound. But uh, so right, okay, you know it's like right now I'm in the new phase of new learning entirely. Mark Grayson. Is that right, Mark Grayson? Said, no, uh, no, no. So creator of Walking Dead, the graphic novel series. 
Or, 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 oh, that's, you know, that's, that's Robert Kirkman, Kirkman, isn't it? Kirkman, Kirkman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So this is something that goes on too. Like, I my mm. memory is decreasing on things that I've done because I'm <laughs> I'm trying to learn new things that are going on, and there's such a of focus course. on there that I think your brain, you know, neural patterns start. Your brain only has room for so around. much. Yeah, yeah. 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 But uh, like Mark Kirkman, Kirkman is someone who, mm. if you look mm. at his history of work or talk to any of the people, uh, you know, at Skybound or the mm. workroom, they're like, this guy is relentlessly prolific as a writer. Or you get people like mm-hmm. uh, Andrew Jones, the artist, right? You know, Android and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. his work. And, but it's like, you can't, you can't stop people like that. They, they are mm-hmm. born to create. Machines. They are. They, yeah. and, you know, uh, Bobby Cho and his and his uh, mm-hmm. partner Kay is like no matter mm-hmm. what they always have a drawing pad mm-hmm. in their hand they always are active yeah. they're they're communicating mm-hmm. with all kinds of people creating lessons mm-hmm. and things like this and then eventually they just yeah. have a huge body of work that's undeniable mm-hmm. and then and then in yeah. time you know like Bobby credits me with he goes you gave us the first real job and it was a uh, Tom mm-hmm. Hanks project that I brought down there for an animated series. Mm-hmm. And uh, or I mm-hmm. grew up there, <laughs> and Bobby just <laughs> nailed it, you know. But I had seen his work coming mm-hmm. out of um, the the uh, the I, I was uh, judging on the mm-hmm. uh, CG Society's books, the expose books mm-hmm. they used to do, the best digital art in the world, whatever mm-hmm. annuals, and and mm-hmm. it was a great cast mm-hmm. of judges. But I was seeing this guy's work year after year. I'm like, this yeah. guy's incredible, and it was Bobby Cho, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and so then when I gave him the work, but now try to hire Bobby Cho. You know, like every, mm-hmm. every, yeah, yeah. Ma- I know some major uh, producers of animated films, you know, because we mm-hmm. used to all work together. And, uh, you know, mm-hmm. Sherry's had a long history, glorious mm-hmm. history in the computer graphics, visual effects business before we started Oddworld. But the point is mm-hmm. that today, every, I can tell you, like, if DreamWorks is working on a new mm-hmm. animated movie or Sony is mm-hmm. or uh, even Pixar, mm-hmm. they're, Pixar mm-hmm. tends to do most things in house, except sometimes the director. But um, they're always mm-hmm. being asked to to design characters for animated movies now. And this yeah. is it wasn't that long ago that they they just couldn't help mm-hmm. themselves from creating more great, you know, focusing on making their craft better. In a really simple thing, like yeah. almost all of their work, you look at it, and it's highlighting characters in basic settings mm-hmm. that that you look at and you can mm-hmm. tell the story. And it's like, you know, they're not yeah. trying to create the latest big, you know, epic thing. They're just, they just stayed mm-hmm. focused at a very particular area mm-hmm. of expertise. And now today they're, you know, mm-hmm. possibly, in, you know, I, like I tell you, every time I know mm-hmm. someone's making another animated movie and the producer goes, are, are mm-hmm. those guys available? And I say, you can reach out to them and usually they're booked, you know, so what a mm-hmm. great yeah. spot to be in. Right. And they're still working out of Canada, but working with Hollywood. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the fact that, like, you know, the lightbox is now a thing as well, and then they just released Magma Studio, which is obviously the online painting thing, and, yeah. you know, he also runs Schoolism, but then he's yeah. also working as a concept artist. Like, yeah, how many things can one person do? <laughs> we can call them unicorns in our industry, so, yeah. Well, they are, um, you know, and K too. Like, yeah. K is a powerhouse, mm. you know, so together they're just, mm. uh, they're just you know, kind of mentally. Unstoppable force. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, but more power. But, then, but I can tell you, have, Bobby's always mm. thinking, always thinking, as as far ahead of the curve as you can about the business of art, right? And right. that's that I think is a huge thing. It's like if you can try and keep those things connected, where you're you're mm-hmm. focused on the business as an artist, mm-hmm. but you're focused mm-hmm. on your art 
as an artist too, right? And there's right. A, there's a difference there. And mm-hmm. like as a, as an example, back in the old days, uh, mm-hmm. when people were you know airbrushing was a high tech form of art, right? When I was going to school, right? Um, mm-hmm. I, I met some guys that were making the most money as illustrators, like mm-hmm. because it, they just became the go to guy. If you need a tube to- of toothpaste mm-hmm. tomorrow for Crest. Mm-hmm. I can get it to you, mm-hmm. but you're going to pay a premium right. for it. And there was a guy in New York that I met and he was selling his loft in the 1980s mm-hmm. for like half a million dollars. I thought was all the money in the world at that time, you know? And I was like, yeah. wow, an artist had a loft in Soho and it was epic, <laughs> man. And he did all the work himself. And it was a big, big place. Yeah, yeah. And it was just really outstanding. And, mm-hmm. um, but so he was passionate about being, knowing that he was the go-to guy in a crisis and he could always deliver. And so he was a thousand percent reliable and he would, Mm -hmm. he would do more jobs than anybody because that was his model. And he made, he was making, you know, like a couple hundred grand in the eighties as an illustrator, which was unheard of. It was completely unheard of, you know? So anyway, just some uh, nostalgia there. Yeah, Yeah. But then again, it's one of these things where business is something that's not really taught as an art form because when yeah. you learn to be an artist you're not really t- i mean now i think especially with the younger generation i say younger younger than me in my 30s but you know people who are just coming out of school now are looking into saying well you know there's patron there's youtube there's deviant art there's you know other things in the world that i can now have a passive income from on top of my job and i think it's a weird world where business is almost like it, it, people are becoming entrepreneurs and they're like somebody said to me years ago that we're not artists for small businesses right we're, we're people who you usually work by contract and do mm-hmm. one specific thing really well and then go out to the highest bidder so mm-hmm. for you the one thing i think you probably done well was bringing people together right and working on projects that was kind of like your main skill i mean you were an artist of course but then i think you mm-hmm. had such a head for organizing and bringing together collectives that that was almost what Oddworld was born out of right I'd say, yeah, Sherry had a lot more experience in hiring and firing. Like I hadn't been, I had been approving hires for, for like Rhythm and Hughes to hire, but I had never like Mm -hmm. fired anyone, which is, you know, one of the most nerve wracking things if you've never done it, you know, if you've never done it and you're a good person, it's a terrible thing. It's a terrible experience going through it. Um, But eventually you have to have to do that. But in pulling together teams, like I could identify talent, but she, she was like, only hire the best only hire the best and mm-hmm. she came out of a model of doing that and then that gets harder because mm-hmm. <laughs> everyone wants the best right but uh yeah yeah I'd, I'd say that that worked out pretty well and then um in the united states expenses of teams become another level and this is where in 2005 we went wow we're either going to be acquired in a way we don't like and we're, we're minimalized in the value or we just right. stop having a huge team and see if we can take the ip to new heights you know and i think that was mm-hmm. a mixed blessing but we still have it today and people are really interested mm-hmm. on different levels so um mm-hmm. i can't complain but yeah pulling a team together and being a team player is something mm-hmm. that a i don't think artists do this naturally like like honestly yeah. like or at least maybe mm-hmm. that was my generation like we're the individuals you know we're the creative yeah, man. yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't want to be a leader i just want to be a great artist i don't want to be a manager yeah. uh teamwork fuck it man just be your best you know and so you had mm-hmm. this attitude because it wasn't like we came out of playing football and hockey and shit like that where you yeah, yeah, team, team sports, sports and had captains yeah. you know we were more like this this kind of um the quiet kids yeah introverted often but mm-hmm. working with teams is a huge skill management is one of the art forms that, that really i think 
virtually everyone should should make it a discipline, particularly if you're an artist, um, because yep. you're you. I mean, if you're if you're someone like uh, uh, Craig Mullins, or you know, just one of these incredible uh, painters, you know, you probably don't have to think about uh, it too much, because uh, that's all. The, he's another guy. You can't stop him. You can't stop him from painting. If you took away his paintbrushes and shit, he'd be making sand art, and it would blow your mind. You know, like he, certain <laughs> things. It's like you know, if you if you buy a rat terrier, he's gonna dig holes in the yard. Like there's no way you can't stop. Yeah, him. <laughs> you know? yeah. and yeah, so. But- I mean, we're talking about legends and hiring the best. We've talked previously before we started recording about Steve Olds, right? Who was one of yeah, your key hires. Steve Olds was brilliant. We we worked together at Rhythm and Hughes. He was really a brilliant designer with extreme dis- self discipline, like extreme. Right. And he yeah. taught himself. It was, yeah, which is crazy because I remember I was watching. I don't. Know, do you know a guy in LA called Rob Brown? By a chance? Yeah, he used to work for us. He was art director at. at uh, yeah, so at I used to watch his his YouTube channels and his streams, and uh, I'd is that Robert Brown, one Robert day. Brown from the Central Coast, and he's working for like yeah, he's a contractor. yeah, 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 yeah. 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 He's, he's, he, he's great. He, he, but he but he ahead. had a funny thing that he, a funny thing, right? I'll tell you about this because you'll laugh, right? But then he has a he has a, a jar and has and he, he, I, thought, I talked about it during the stream about like his because he got into the eventually like oh, I used to work in Oddworld and and, yeah. he, and I was like oh, I love the game and he's dude so he brought this jar right this glass jar. And it was pencils, a, a jar full of pencils down to the nubs. <laughs> and he was like, this is the jar, the mojo jar of what Steve Olds used to draw Oddworld. And this is what was left. And I oh, still he kept have it. it. He got it. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I wish I had that. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had that. That's, that's a great. Wow. I didn't, I didn't know that. But yeah, yeah. like you're, you're talking to Steve Olds. Is, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, this guy, like a couple times, and I, I still have. All the original mm-hmm. drawings, though. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, <laughs> I mean, from from all the Odd World productions, I have about. Yeah. If you stacked it in just sheets of paper, it's about six feet high. Wow. Right? And yeah. then, uh, but Steve Olds, he. I remember one time I got, I got really annoyed and really blown away at the same time because I, I couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Right. But yeah. Went, yeah. And we're talking about a character, you know, and he designed mm-hmm. Abe and, and the Gluckins and mm-hmm. things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, he he just did this thing where he goes, well, I think if he was holding it like this, and he just, he mm-hmm. takes this this pencil that has a very long sharp to it, and he, mm-hmm. and he goes on the page like this. Mm-hmm. And you were like, that's a forearm. <laughs> you know, it was like an elbow and forearm. <laughs> It was like two strokes and just, you know, kind of how like Incas yeah. used to do with quill, with wide quill pens where they go the thin and go yeah, fat. Yeah. And I was so blown away by it. I was like, fuck, man. How do you yeah. do that shit? You know? and, and the answer is you draw constantly and you strive to be better. And um, mm-hmm. in Steve's case, he just always wanted everything better. And, uh, yeah. you know, and that could get difficult sometimes. <laughs> you know, ask Rob, yeah, Rob, Rob yeah. about that, you know, because they were mm-hmm. uh, getting feedback in Farzad, who who is a, a great uh, designer as well. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, Steve Olds was a hardcore talent. And there yeah. should be books on his work, but we featured him prominently in the Oddworld book. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah. So I got to work with some amazing people and we were able to convince yeah. Steve to, to join with Still us need. really early. He was like the third. Yeah, member of oddworld really oh wow 
Yeah, yeah. I still need. I, I, every time, every time I'm on Amazon recently, I've been seeing that book more and more with a white cover, and I'm, I mean the, the picture of Abe and in the front. But yeah, I need. I need oh, to grab uh, that at one uh, point. you mean uh, uh, the uh, like the big book, the big yeah, like yeah, the, the page, the, the big one that was done, Odd World Origins, Abe Origins. Yes, that's the one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah that was fun. I need to get a copy. I need to get a copy. So, uh, but yeah, like I mean, Steve's <laughs> Steve's work. Wow, like yeah, he's he's done a big inspiration as well. But yeah, Abe, Abe in general, because I remember. Um, you're funny enough this is really crazy as well i was at uh, an industry workshop in 2016 and one guy was doing uh, a talk on just like how you can do art differently or, or convey different messages with certain art forms and he used mm-hmm. abe as as uh, an oddworld as an example and done a oh, whole nice. speech on on oddworld and it was crazy and um at the time i had actually randomly added steve on uh on, uh, on on Facebook, uh, just as I do, just randomly adding people, and yeah. I said to the guy, I says, "Oh, so I've been speaking to you know Steve Olds on and off, and, and I'm sure he'd like, and I actually sent him pictures of the the presentation. He was like, oh, that's crazy, man! Like you know, I never thought.' And but yeah, Outworld, I think is is you only see the initial bit because you're inside the company spitting the stuff out, right? But you don't yeah. maybe see, or you probably have over the years seen the impact of of what the the world you created has has done for everybody. I hear it a lot, you know. Like sometimes I oh. uh, like I believe in in really. Let me just say, as a character trait, right? Mm-hmm. I, I don't care for people that see great stuff and don't comment. Mm-hmm. Like they go, oh, you know, mm-hmm. like I hate that shit, man. It's like yeah, it's yeah, great, yeah. it's great. Give credit where it's due, right? Don't play cool, yep. right? Like you're not yeah, yeah. impressing anyone. And when people do that <laughs> in business, I'm out of the room. Mm-hmm. When people are like, they're like, well, you know, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, I guess and it's mm-hmm. like this smokes your shit. You should admit it, right? Yeah. And if you're not mm-hmm. and you're trying to use that as leverage, you just leverage yourself out the door. Because who of wants course. to work with that? You know, it's like mm-hmm. a beautiful girl who wants she wakes up in the morning and she put you know, she puts on her mm-hmm. herself, right? And mm-hmm. then yeah. she looks great, but the husband's like, Well, you know, what about what about down there? You know, what about over mm-hmm. here? And it's like, fuck you guy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like <laughs> there's there's a way it's like give credit where it's due and don't play cool and now yeah. what happens is the worse of an attitude you have the the less mm-hmm. people want to give you credit you know so oh, yeah, you, gotta, yeah, yeah. you gotta you know try and be fair and observe that as well but yeah yeah i mean that's i think where people why i've made so many friends in the industry right whereas i only really got my first full-time job this year right after doing a bit of freelance and it was for matt and i'm working on uh you know we're a startup so we're no this huge name like blizzard or yeah. activision or whatever but then people know me and have known me the last couple of years because of the podcast, right? When I went out to LA last year, I was on a plane going from Chicago to LAX and I was ordering a drink. One of the dudes was like, you're Gordon Neal. And I was like, what? Like he recognized my voice from me ordering a drink. And this was in a flight to LA. And then when I got to Lightbox, like people were coming up and being like, I know your voice from somewhere. And then as soon as they twigged, they were like, oh, I'm such a huge fan of the podcast. And, you know, and the podcast is how I got to work with Raf Gazette and how I got to go out there and work with him and how I have these you know, kind of big name people I know that, and it's it's not a glow. It's because I'm a fan, right? When I worked up the RAF initially in Trojan Horse in 2018, I was like, I'm a fan of your work. I knew about his work, you know, from you know California all the way to Canada, working in Mass Effect, and then in God of War. Um, and most people I meet, like yourself, I'm like, you know, I'm not just like blowing smoke up your ass. Like I've I've, I've I loved appreciate Abe. this. I've loved Abe's, you know, for a very young age. That 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 game was a lot to me when I was very young and I played them, you know, from Abe's Odyssey and, you know, all the way through to, like, Oddworld and The Stranger's Wrath and, you know, uh, Munchies and you know, everything that you came out, I consumed because I loved those games because they were so different. It's like when people talked about the last year about me playing games and how you play, like, you know, you've got your League of Legends, you've got your Apex, you've got your Call of Duties. One of the best games for me in the last year was Death Stranding 
like Hideo Kojima's mm-hmm. hit, you know, because mm-hmm. it was so different. It was mm-hmm. beyond what games I thought could be at the time. And that's why I love your games specifically because oh, I appreciate that. It's, it's the difference. It's it's the it's the difference of trying to send a message rather than tell a story. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Well, that's yeah. what I found. I mean, uh, I appreciate you pointing that out. And how I felt <laughs> was in my darkest hours, uh, growing up and mm-hmm. and paying for my own school in New York City, working in the South mm-hmm. Bronx to pay for my own school was like mm-hmm. at the time was just. You couldn't believe it, man. It was just a, yeah. like a, a war zone, but uh, mm-hmm. or it looked like London after the bombing of World War Two. It was just it was just oh, God, all burned yeah. out and all ruins. And I've seen Joker. Watched, I, yeah, yeah, New York, yeah, New York in the nineteen eighties. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right, man. <laughs> and uh, so I was having to go up to South Bronx to to make <laughs> you know to make money to mm-hmm. then you know pay for school and survive. But yep. um, so you know a lot of hustling there. But um, uh, you were saying just before then. Sorry, was. Like send sending a message rather than telling a story, yeah. basically. Yeah. So what I what I found was like, I th- I think we need some kind of moral ethical base root mm-hmm. in ourselves, right? And if we don't have that, I I think we're in trouble. Yeah. So for me, I wasn't finding it with religion. I got really pissed off with religion, and mm-hmm. I was like. I got really annoyed with science teachers in schools that would say animals don't have real emotions. They're, they're just an operating set of, you know, behavioral, you know, evolved, yeah. uh, 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 they're, they're kind of like machines, but they're not. And I was like, mm. I've had better connections with my dog than most people. We understand each yeah. other better than a lot of things. <laughs> it's like Jane Goodall said, she learned the most about, um, animals from her mm-hmm. dog, never from a school, never from a scientist, never. So I, I kind of rejected a lot of this uh, <clears throat> materialistic world that I was seeing because I, mm-hmm. I, I had a little more like I loved and connected with animals. And I could mm-hmm. see people that wouldn't and people that mm-hmm. didn't have the empathy to it. And then how you could get a, like I, I used to uh, sort of be challenged by some would say, well, this dog was abused. So it's really shy or it's really dangerous mm-hmm. stuff like this. And I used to as a kid, I used to be like, well, that's kind of sad, you know, and it just like, yeah, I'd be like, I can win this dog over. And if yeah. you think that's like robotic, you know, zeros and ones <laughs> just flipping through, you know, the nature of, uh, of being alive and a mechanical universe, it's like, no, there's yeah. a whole nother sentience and level of communication that's going there. And we can just communicate with body language and they know, they yes. know. And yeah. to the degree of, uh, it's funny because I was just talking about this on a podcast yesterday, but to the degree mm-hmm. of. I, I'm meeting people here. And I'm, I'm in Sedona, Arizona now, mm-hmm. which is where I, you know, hoped to retire. So I'm not retired yet, but this mm-hmm. is the spot I wanted to retire. It's arguably right. the most beautiful place in the world. It's unbelievable. Yeah. But I'm, I'm, uh, uh, sorry, it's real early for me. I just got up. We're, we're, you're fine. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah, yeah but again, yeah. message, not story. But you're talking about Arizona retiring there and then coming from. Yeah, yeah. yeah but the point is, pe- mm-hmm. people would be um, saying things about like you just see a different connection to life, you know, like native Americans mm-hmm. had a different connection to life. And of course that gives you a different perspective, but then you see this world, they're trying to tell you in school, like, you know, dissect mm-hmm. the frog. I was like, I don't want to fucking kill a frog. I love frogs. Why don't yeah. I want to kill a frog? <laughs> what is going to be important in my career? Killing frogs. Yeah. Like, no, you're yeah, desensitizing yeah. people. And then you find out yes. this is, this is how you get people to go to wars and shit like this is you start them off mm-hmm. young, desensitizing them. And I was sensitized, mm-hmm. not desensitized. So I was like, Fuck your institutional You're an empath like me. Yeah. I think so. I think so. Yeah. And yeah. and uh yeah. um and I, I 
I think we all are. And it's a question of whether we shut it off or not, you know? Yeah. And so for me, what happened was where I wasn't finding any faith in any institutionalized religions or, or mm-hmm. new, new age stuff or, you know, all the all yeah. different spectrum of emerging. I found mm-hmm. it in Yoda. You know, like right. when Yoda started talking and I started seeing Star mm-hmm. Wars and, I, and then, mm-hmm. you know, I'm seeing Yoda. I was like, that's it. I believe that because I, I feel like I've been experiencing that. And, yes, the force. You know, I have yeah. I have zero interest about having a discussion with a militant materialist about how there's no such thing as chi. Or it's like, oh, shut the fuck up, because I can tell you this: I would be, uh, I would have no legs right now if I relied yeah. on Western medicine alone. Acupuncture saved my ass. I had mm-hmm. through the difficulties of delivering new and tasty. I got two cases of Bell's palsy. Right, my face got oh, wow. paralyzed once on this side and once on the other side. Mm-hmm. The Western mm-hmm. medicine guys are like, well, we still don't understand what it is, but we think it's a virus that ties itself around the nerve. So here we're going to give you this antiviral mm-hmm. drug, pregnisone. Mm-hmm. I think it was pregnisone. Mm-hmm. And right. um, and then I go to – and, and fortunately, I had a Yale PhD but mm-hmm. Asian doctor who had mm-hmm. an open mind, right, and this, this mm-hmm. woman. And she said, look, we don't understand Bell's palsy, but mm-hmm. the guy that treats it the best – is here's mm-hmm. his number and he's you know down the street mm-hmm. so i get in touch with him and he was a ex-pharmacist uh mm-hmm. korean of origin ex-pharmacist mm-hmm. who after western medicine failed his wife started mm-hmm. opening his mind again to something that was a large family tradition that he rejected because he wanted to think more clinically and and right. a critical thinker and you know course. science science and and uh and this guy cured my bell pal- bell's palsy like boom with needles and herbs no drugs wow. he's like would they yeah. give you pregnancy i was like yeah he goes throw that shit out none of that works mm-hmm. i know i was a mm-hmm. pharmacist none of it works mm-hmm. and i'm 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 being very vague right now when he goes no but most drugs don't actually mm-hmm. work mm-hmm. and uh so that experience was like i don't i don't trust if I, I trust Western medicine for trauma. Like if I crash a bike and my limbs are broken and my guts are hanging out, I need a Western doctor now. I don't need an acupuncturist, right? But if yeah, you want to yeah, understand yeah. how to be in optimal health, go mm-hmm. go to the the ancient ways of, yeah. of health, you know. And the Eastern ways probably. Yeah. I think so. I think so. Yeah. But there's also like, you know, the Native Americans, I'm surrounded now by uh, mm-hmm. not, not – surrounded but in close proximity very mm-hmm. large areas of land i mean we are truly in the wilderness you know from my window mm-hmm. occasionally mm-hmm. people are seeing bighorn sheep on the oh, right, on, okay. on the cliff top so like i'm looking out at mm-hmm. red rock monuments right now sorry mm-hmm. i can't have a camera on it but the mm-hmm. point is is that they if you if you do enough research you're like the native americans were figuring out all kinds of ways and remedies through herbs right they figured out mm-hmm. an antidote to smallpox they just figured it yeah. out. But mm-hmm. if you talk to shamanic cultures about how they figure things out, it's usually like they're in an altered state of mind. They're connecting mm-hmm. with something else, and that something else is mm-hmm. giving them information. And so mm-hmm. if you get into like real hallucinogens, you know, DMT, ayahuasca, stuff mm-hmm. like this, mm-hmm. or anywhere where they had very powerful sort of healing practices, um, they were always, in these shamanic cultures, they were always doing something to get in an altered state where they could receive information that you couldn't get otherwise. And then, oh, dude! But yeah. I was going to say they're just they're, they're just starting to trial mushrooms now as a way to treat clinical depression because they say it works. But then there's people who are like, "I've known this for years. I've known this for decades. Like, I've known it for years. I've known it for years." Yeah, you know, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. And uh, I used to do when I was working in aerospace. Um, mm-hmm. I used to do a thing I called 
burn and bake. And so burn was, <laughs> I'd, I'd go through like a six to eight week project and just work around the clock and every weekend and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. just, I just cared about mm -hmm. making it look great. You know, so I actually had the mm -hmm. keys to our lab mm -hmm. and TRW, but on the weekend when mm -hmm. I go in there, I'd have to like pass Marines with M1s and shit, you know, and they'd shake your hand and try and break it. Cause I was like a long haired hippie looking dude. And, you know, so it was like, <laughs> you were being challenged, but I literally would go in on the weekends. No one was in these big aerospace buildings mm -hmm. on the weekends. And I'd go in cause I just wanted the project to look better. But anyway, I was working around the clock and that was my burn period. And then I'd take a few days and I'd go to uh, Joshua Tree, which is a, a yeah. high desert, you know, national forest uh, and mm -hmm. pretty, pretty incredible place out in uh, California. Mm -hmm. And in doing that, mm -hmm. I used to go out there with like uh, water and uh, some granola <laughs> bars and shit and a bunch of mushrooms. <laughs> and yeah. through that, I've learned some of the most important things that I I mm -hmm. no way could have learned otherwise. And so yeah. there's more going on than just trippy vision. There's more going on than yes. just your brain country. We have the opportunity yeah. to log into something that Terrence McKenna, are you familiar with his work? He was like Timothy no, Leary of the 90s. Him, yeah. So he wrote a book yeah. called uh, Food of the Gods, which was all about the sort oh, of- Oh, yeah, the, okay, yeah, I know you're talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is all about the, uh, the relationship of psychoactives in the history of civilization and evolution. Joe Rogan talks about him a lot because Joe Rogan's a big advocate as well for DMT, which he says is a <laughs> yeah, huge healer. Yeah. Sometime maybe yeah. I'll get on the show. Maybe they'll have me on the show. And we'll, we'll talk about my DMT <laughs> experiences um, yeah. and other, other hallucinogen experiences where, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I actually believe these things are, for lack of a better word, sacred. And yeah. they should be treated that way with a lot of mm -hmm. humility and a lot of appreciation and a lot of asking for protection. Cause I do believe you're yeah. opening yourselves up to things. And it's like, you know, there was uh, forever. We didn't know that colds were caused by germs or viruses or mm -hmm. this and that, you know, we mm -hmm. just, some people get it, some people don't. And then, uh, mm -hmm. but now, you know, then we'd learn, Oh, there's these little things. We can find them under a microscope. They're called germs. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's kind of mm -hmm. like where I feel like we are with understanding psychoactives and, um, mm -hmm. uh, basically an undetected or as uh, Rupert Sheldrake would call them, you know, uh, theoretical mm -hmm. physicist, the, mm -hmm. the morphogenic fields, which is the, mm -hmm. the subtle fields of something we're not detecting. We're not paying attention to, we're not measuring yet that surrounds all living mm -hmm. things. And through hallucinogens, mm -hmm. I've come to believe that absolutely uh, information is passing back and forth and you can, you can experience things that, that are more real than this world is. And I know that sounds crazy, mm -hmm. but you know, DMT people will tell you that too. Like you get in there, like when mm -hmm. I did DMT and I did it with Andrew Jones you know, <laughs> and another guy, <laughs> Fong. Um, but I was yeah. kind of terrified because I had researched it for about 20 years already. And I was kind of terrified. Mm -hmm. And um, mm -hmm. the more you know about it, the more, uh, it wasn't like toxicity because there's none of that, but it, it, you truly get mm -hmm. sort of teleported into another dimension. And, um, yeah. and, and when I was in the DMT realm, it only lasts about 15 minutes, but when I was mm -hmm. in that realm without going into a deep story on it, about mm -hmm. three to four minutes in, uh, in complete and utter awe, like, like just the first thing I, re I realized was I never understood what alien meant. I, never, mm. I, I thought I did, but I didn't. I mm -hmm. thought ETs and shit. No. Alien mm. is that which is not a cell in your body that resonates with any familiarity with what you're looking at, except you know it's a million mm. times smarter than anything here on this planet. 
Like if yeah. our industrial revolution was 150 years ago, theirs was 150 <laughs> million years ago. It, it's like, it's like right. whatever you're seeing, it's really intimidating. Mm-hmm. And like four minutes in, mm-hmm. I started to have this really weird sensation that I had never felt before in my life. And then it registered me what mm-hmm. it was homesick. Mm-hmm. Like, it oh, okay. Was that, and I don't mean alien like grays and shit. I mean, <laughs> it's impossible to describe. The fidelity mm-hmm. makes makes our five senses look dull as an old forty five black and white, you know, forty five inch record or black and white TV course, yeah. compared to what yeah. you see, and then and then you come back, and then reality's dull again, and less sophisticated. And so I felt sorry yeah. for humanity, like I really felt mm-hmm. sorry because I just felt like we were still so primitive and still so yeah. uh egotistical thinking we know it all and we're right on the verge of discovering the god particle you know it's like oh god i've been listening to this my whole life yeah. <laughs> and i told this once to a neuroscientist um because i'm really interested mm-hmm. in neuroscience not at a scientific mm-hmm. level at a consciousness level and but right. of course if you want to understand these things you got to listen mm-hmm. you know to people of science and um mm-hmm. i was talking to uh, a really uh well-known brain surgeon and mm-hmm. And he was talking about, you know, the God particle and stuff like this. I, I said, well, here's an interesting thing. And I said this with confidence because I know from experience, we don't know shit. Right. And yeah. I said, here's the thing. I said, if I showed you this mm-hmm. 20 years ago or, you know, let's say 40 years ago, you wouldn't even know what it is. Right. right. And I would say yeah. to you, well, mm-hmm. first I said this. I said, you are never going to find the memory molecule. Cause it's not mm-hmm. in the molecule. It's in the cloud. Mm-hmm. And then he looks at me like, what are you talking about? I go, you guys are, you're looking for where the dream is stored in a chemical. It's not in a chemical. It's in the cloud. And your brain yeah. is an antenna to your cloud holographic experience. Mm-hmm. Now this is something like Rupert Sheldrake would really get into or Terrence McKenna would really get into. Um, but the, when you're looking at that, I said, so you're looking for this, like, where's the information of holographic world that's stored in a single chemical, right? Yeah, go, it, does, it doesn't exist there. Now, yeah. uh, I build worlds. Like, there's mm-hmm. nothing in our games that you see that we didn't have to design. Everything. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm talk- sometimes I'm talking to architects or other people, dentists, mm-hmm. solving, solving surgery mm-hmm. problems. And, uh, mm-hmm. and they'll go, how, how, do you, how do you know that? And I'd be like, it's mm-hmm. all just a design problem, right? It's all just mm-hmm. a design problem. If we look at it in these ways and we and mm-hmm. we sort of apply some, you know, pattern recognition, whatever, we can figure things out differently. Mm-hmm. And um, in the in the hallucinogen landscape, mm-hmm. there's information to be found. I would really discourage like partying with hardcore mm. you know, I right, think it's yeah. really I've I've seen people they just trip out, you know, like you're dealing with it's almost like you're dealing with nuclear energy, but you don't want to have shielding. It's like, no, man, have shielding. You know, like, like respect it. Don't just think, oh, well, how can I get high tonight? And, uh, yeah. you know, I saw a lot of people dive off that cliff and never come mm-hmm. back in different ways. But yeah. there's something sacred there. It was understood thousands of years ago. It's still understood mm-hmm. by some parties today. And now we're refinding it, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, in that, what I said to him was I said, you're still looking for that hologram of information of a world that's stored in a chemical. I said, you're never going to find it because it's not there. It's in the cloud. Like this, 40 years ago, if I said, this is the magic box. And in this magic box, you tell me anything and I will show it to you because it's already in here. And I said, but it's not in here. This is just the cloud. But you didn't know a cloud existed. 
right? And yes. I said, that's where we're at. And he, and then he got up and he gave a talk and he said, Lauren said something really interesting, you know, that our memories and all are in the brain. And he goes, well, brain damage has shown that you'll get EI. And I said, yeah. And if you look at a ham radio antenna, you can receive up to, depending on your power amplification, et cetera, you can receive over 50,000 channels of information, AM, FM, high bandwidth, military bandwidth, you know, police, mm-hmm. emergency bandwidth, uh, mm-hmm. and the whole ham spectrum, right? I said, mm-hmm. but but go break a piece of that antenna and you will mm-hmm. lose an area of reception. And mm-hmm. I said, so when you get brain damage, you're, you're affecting mm-hmm. a neural pathway to a memory. And now that memory mm-hmm. is no longer connecting to the cloud where your information mm-hmm. is stored. Now that's my faith. And I think we'll find that. Mm-hmm. I think we will mm-hmm. find that. I think we'll find almost everything eventually mm-hmm. with science. And I think we're still pretty stupid in the scheme of things right now. Oh, of course. Right. Yeah. So anyway, you know, it was like, mm-hmm. it's in the cloud. Like, and mm-hmm. like we operate to a cloud, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, and I believe that, and, you know, militant materialists mm. would say, well, that's not even possible. You're just looting things. Mm. I'm like, well, then how did I know this? You yeah, know, how I mean, did I know we're, that? We're viewing things as, as humans, right? Whereas we yes. think we are the most evolved species on the planet. But then there was there was a thing I watched, and we were talking about this before as well, before we started recording about yeah. conspiracy theories and things that are in the world. But I remember watching a video, and I can't remember how I found it. Don't tell me how I found it, but just trolling one night. And it was a guy who used to work for the Canadian military space program. I know who he it talked is. About yeah, is so it, he talked it, about. Yeah, yeah. Is it, is it Hutchinson? I think maybe Albuquerque, hundred percent, but yeah, probably. Okay, but okay. he talked about how there's actually within our, our solar system there's there's a galactic federation of different alien oh, planets and alien, that stuff, alien yeah. existence, and and they actually come to monitor us and talk to us, and they're at the moment they're seeing us as like the lowest on the totem pole, right? We're the <laughs> we're the lowest we're the lowest form of intelligence. We aren't you know evolved enough to join this federation and. I mean, if you look at the way we've probably existed over the last two, three hundred years, right? Like, no wonder when you look at us, we, yeah. we still infight. We still, you know, we, we still launch wars and fight amongst ourselves. And, and, and it's a thing where the higher consciousness is something I think our ancestors maybe figured out where we stepped away from. Because when you look at Abe and the way he works with meditation, with the shamans, with, you know, even when they used to do stuff like vision quests, a lot of that time was inhaling mm-hmm. psychedelics and then mm-hmm. seeing what came from that. And it was away from them to access stuff. So, you know, because I think like t- technology is in front of our face, right? Our phones are like here constantly mm-hmm. like in front of our face. You're missing what's beyond. Like you look at your window, that's the mm-hmm. beyond, right? That's what you should be looking at is the trees and plants in your front yard. That's the connection. That's the, the voyage to up. So yeah, I think we've lost part of our humanity almost with technology interjecting it, right? Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's certainly a conundrum. You know, it's, it's the weirdest <laughs> thing. It's like the technology it's 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 a bipolar curse and blessing in many ways simultaneously and so it really means we have to have another discipline so we don't just get sucked in and addicted you know and i would say like if we look at gaming and we saw some early signs of this like in in korea Mm -hmm. really had more of a gaming audience before china did and it it's mm-hmm. due to piracy, but without going mm-hmm. through it, you know, and then the Chinese mm-hmm. kids that really wanted to play games and were really smart, were really pissed off because no one was selling games there because arguably mm-hmm. maybe the Chinese government was sponsoring factories that were that were copying all the mm-hmm. games. Mm-hmm. And a bit, Dave Perry told me one time, he goes, you know, and I want to come back to 
uh, China and gaming. I love how you just but, run that off the cuff that Dave Perry told you one time, even though he's yeah. a legend himself. <laughs> I've been really lucky. I've been really lucky with the people I met. And and people mm-hmm. like Dave Perry, this was what I was saying earlier, a little difference between Hollywood and gaming, is mm-hmm. um, Dave Perry was somebody and yet gave me the time of day before I was even in the industry. So did Tommy Tallarico. They were, they were at version oh, together, and I, I was able to start talking <laughs> to these guys. And uh, they only I think part of the reason they were listening, because you know, I was working on movies and shit, right, with 3D graphics, yeah, and yeah. they knew that's where games were going, and I was now interested in games. But anyway, right. he, 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 uh, he, he, these were very open, but these were, you know, known names try that in television mm. try that in film try that in music you know there's stars are walking around with their head up their ass and fucking everyone's bowing down to these these new semblances of uh entertainment royalty right and mm. and, and i was just like always turned off by that scene but the game mm-hmm. industry was different and it was people were more willing to help each other and mm-hmm. um it wasn't about star power it wasn't like mm-hmm. well, he's the director and that's the lead actor and everyone on the set better kiss their ass or you're fired you know and yeah that, that's it like when you're on a hollywood set it's, i always find it like eh. you know i never i never liked the live action process um mm-hmm. and a lot of it was because of the hierarchy of the monarchies on the set mm-hmm. And, yeah. and and you get these people that are being treated like royalties, and then they come to expect it, and then and then they become real assholes as people. Of course. But what I found in the game business was, you you definitely had um, aggressive people that were trying to make lots of money, and, and you know, um, and then you know, there's any industry where money's involved, you'll have shenanigans. But for the most part, the game industry talents got along and tried to help each other. They weren't mm-hmm. trying to sabotage one another. You know, now maybe within a big company, there's plenty of people trying to sabotage one another. But when you're talking about like, oh, you know, I could call someone with a problem and um, they'd pick it up, you know, and and, you know, there's I mean, if you go through a lot of the the names of of the last 20 years of games, you know, chances are I know. But Mm -hmm. there's very few that went, wow, this guy's just a total asshole. But in mm-hmm. Hollywood, that was a typical walk down the street. <laughs> asshole, 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 right? <laughs> and so there's something about that. And in a lot of ways, I feel the digital arts community is very similar where, mm-hmm. um, you know, you can go on to something like ArtStation. People can talk to someone mm-hmm. like yourself or right. uh, they, they can they can reach out and maybe get answers from other people. And if their work yeah. is good, they'll get more responses. You know, like if you if your work is really good and you're like, mm-hmm. Craig, you know, Craig Mullins, I just mm-hmm. would really love your opinion. If you could if he if mm-hmm. it's if it's crap, you might reply and say, you know, yeah, other people can help you with this. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah, but yeah. if it's really good, he'd say, you know what, I'm. Yeah, maybe you could work on this or that, or I really like how you do these other things. And so it mm-hmm. didn't have the same egocentric, um, driven sort of star talent in the right. game industry. You know, and I'm not saying some people didn't fall victim to that at different times, but it was much more humbling because I think the effort is so hard. Yeah. And especially if you started your own company and, you know, you're wearing mm-hmm. all these hats and you're trying to wrangle all this stuff. And, you know, yep. I, I see some people, they feel like, um, I see this mistake. It's happened a few times. You can probably identify it yourself without me mm-hmm. naming names. But what happens is people do something as a, a part of a team, and then they start thinking they deserve most of the credit the way a, a director or a writer might feel in Hollywood. And yeah. and but they don't. They completely underestimate what it took to build the organization that they were in as part of a team that then succeeded at something great. 
Yeah. And then they go out on their own and they try it and they just, you know, fail miserably. And so yeah. we've seen that a number of times with different characters. And I think it's a very humbling experience, but mm-hmm. they underestimate what the infrastructure was that allowed them the platform to shine, you mm-hmm. know? And then they think, well, you know, I'm this great and I'm, I'm just going to go get some money and, uh, I, Hey, people want to throw money. I mean, I'm going to do it. But rarely mm-hmm. does that turn into something where it actually happens. You know, like we're talking about Tim yeah. Schaefer, he did it. Um, mm-hmm. His partner back in the day, uh, creative partner back in the day, who did uh, the the children's games later, like uh, yeah. Pajama Sam and stuff like that. Ron, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Ron, I'm forgetting his last name at the moment. Sorry, Gilbert. Gilbert, yeah, and mm-hmm. he did it right. Like they came out of Lucas Arts, and then they started mm-hmm. their own companies, and then eventually they were successful, and then eventually they were yeah. rich. Good for them, mm-hmm. but they mm-hmm. would still give you the time of day, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, not the same in, in most entertainment. People aren't the yeah. same. They become very shielded and they become very protect, mm-hmm. protected. And then they're protected by hordes of entourages that are largely not nearly as competent as they were. And they start yeah. believing their own, their own PR, you know, and that's a, that's a massive trap. If you start to get um, popular or something is believing your own PR. And I think there's a, yeah. So I'll leave it there and let you, let you comment. Sorry. Oh yeah, no, I was just going to say it, it's, you know, it's a lot to take in when you talk about the games industry, but I think you're very right in what you're saying. I mean, uh, I mean, I know when I went to Lightbox, I got, uh, I actually got to speak to Ian McCaig for like a whole like 30 minutes and yeah, like I could yeah. be nicer, like, and he's obviously a legend and his own, his own writing. Totally. Dave Perry, for, yeah, I mean, I mean, Dave Perry, for you kids who don't know, made something that I'm very fond of, which was called Earthworm Jim back in the day. And uh, that's right. it was one of my, fa- my favorite games, but it's funny though, people don't even know recently in the last 10 years, Dave Perry actually built and patented the, the technology that now powers PlayStation Now, which is the streaming service. Um, I mean, I've been using I've been using Google Stadia for the last two years since since they launched it, but I was testing on live back in the day in 2010, but he was also ahead of the curve. So a lot of these guys, like you talk about, like Dave Perry, Tim Schafer, it's, it's an entrepreneurship thing that takes over where, like you said, you're creative constantly, you're making new ideas, you know, like John Romero back in the day making it software and, and, and all those guys are the first kind of ground level um, it was a very wild west way of making businesses, but then a lot of those guys have really prospered in the long run. Yeah, and uh, you know, it, like, and some of them have had some really hard hits and come out humbler and better people on the other side. I think you know, mm-hmm. and yeah. um, but it's humbling, man. Like you eat crow, <laughs> you know. It's it's mm-hmm. it sucks. It sucks when mm-hmm. your fans hate you from for <laughs> window of time, or other people <laughs> just don't like something you said. And yeah. being visible, you know, you just have to like. I didn't used to believe it when people said movie stars would say, "I don't I don't read my own reviews." You know, they what do you what did you think of what Time Magazine wrote about your performance? You're like, I don't know, I didn't read it. And I was like, bullshit, yeah. bullshit. <laughs> but they were right, and I didn't realize it. But it was. It, people ask me today i'm like i don't know i didn't read it i don't want to read it i don't want to hear if someone's hating on me i'd just rather not have it affect my day you know yeah um i'm sure there's going to be be that and it happens mm-hmm. you know um mm-hmm. i'm just going to tr- try and be better at what i do and not be as much mm-hmm. of an asshole as i was when i grew up you know mm-hmm. so we go into that process but uh all all the characters you're mentioning you know it's like it's very interesting to watch their journey and i saw dave Dave Perry, we, uh, he was at um, this thing that was being kind of sponsored by PR agencies and venture capitalists mm-hmm. up in in Sonoma in a wine, right. you know, like at, at a wine resort or something. And, and yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. We, we were there. And mm-hmm. um, I think I, I might have had to do a talk. I don't really remember, but I remember watching mm-hmm. Dave's, Dave's talk. And he was talking mm-hmm. about his cloud 
gaming service that he was going to use right. as a marketing, right? And so I, I got to mm-hmm. see that before he was bigly funded on that alone. And this is a few years before he sold it to Sony. Mm-hmm. And he said something brilliant. And when he said it, mm-hmm. it was like I went, like, like he he was ahead of the time in mm-hmm. a lot of ways. And you got to understand Dave, Dave Perry's history. And I'm not the authority mm-hmm. on it, but I know enough. He was in Ireland. I don't even think mm-hmm. he went to high school, but he was a great programmer. And he was mm-hmm. a good enough programmer that he could solve problems that other people couldn't. And this yeah. allowed him to start. And he was always smart business. And he and mm-hmm. I'm sure he studied it. And some people, everyone mm-hmm. has to study it. None of it's really super intuitive mm-hmm. unless you're like a reborn again Carnegie or something. You yeah. Know? But uh, and he said the the light went off for NVIDIA when mm-hmm. I showed them that on people's computers at home through my mm-hmm. service they could play test the game on your newest card that's not even mm-hmm. in their machine. Yeah. And they were like, this is NVIDIA, right? And Jensen, yeah. you know, I mean, we started Oddworld around the same time they started NVIDIA. And Jensen's mm-hmm. just off the charts, you know, genius, right? Gen- CEO, yeah. founder of founder of Jensen. Mm-hmm. And I was mm-hmm. like, you're showing something to Jensen and company, and they, mm-hmm. it, their, their head is you know, bending, the brain is bending to try and comprehend it. And I didn't really Mm -hmm. understand it at the time. I mean, you know, as he explained it, I did, I was like, wow, that is brilliant, Mm -hmm. man. I can try a new card on my computer without installing Mm -hmm. the new card and get the graphics performance out of it. Right. And of course Mm -hmm. it would depend on how close your band, how good your bandwidth was and how close you were to the server farm. But that's, you know, later became, you know, streaming. Mm -hmm. Right. And, uh, but he had these ways of thinking about things. So he was able to finagle in Ireland. This is just like, you know, thinking like an engineer, he thought kind of like an entrepreneur artist. It's not that different where they go, this is my skill. How can I leverage it the best? And because he was so unique at solving problems from Ireland, mm-hmm. he was able to start commanding royalties on games as an engineer, yeah. which was largely unheard of. Mm-hmm. And through that, he was able to start making money. He goes over to the United mm-hmm. States. He gets in the... To uh, it was Virgin Games at the time, right? right that's where yeah. they made Earth. Uh, and then and then he started Shiny, and then Earthworm Jim came out, and that was like the the launch project for it. And I remember because I was down there looking at it at as it was developing. Oh god! <laughs> and as <laughs> they were doing the very beginnings of, it was an Aladdin game, which was the really the first time uh, people were doing real cell animation. This was at Virgin. Tommy took mm-hmm. me through, and Dave was showing me some stuff. And mm-hmm. uh, then he goes off and starts Shiny, right? But mm-hmm. this is a guy you should never bet against because he just has this luck. <laughs> you know, like it, it's luck. Look we at create. Irish. Luck we create. <laughs> Maybe that was it, man. Yeah. Luck, luck we do create by by mm-hmm. being perpetual. Like if you want mm-hmm. bad luck, just stop it what you're doing and hope the world comes to you, and then you'll have mm-hmm. nothing but bad luck, you know. But if yeah. as long as you you keep on hitting that treadmill and and keep don't give up. Don't give mm-hmm. up, right? Even when it seems yeah. discouraging. In his mm-hmm. case, um, you know, he had the independent developer that going up and down. Mm-hmm. He was ready to sell mm-hmm. for a certain amount of money, and then he sold for mm-hmm. like three and a half times that unexpectedly, right? And we're talking of tens of millions of dollars, and that was when he sold Shiny. Mm-hmm. And then, mm-hmm. and then he builds an, another, like you know, basically uh, real real time. Yeah server streaming game company mm-hmm. that he then sells for a few hundred million to Sony, you know, like never bet against Dave Perry, man. He just yeah. somehow surfs the waves and, and keeps on arriving, you know, like I don't know if that is a bit, 
Yeah, our local talent, because if you think about it, right, you know, uh, so uh, Dave Perry, who is this great creative uh, soul storm of, of what is made now, but he he's Irish, you know, in, in origin. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you look at Ian McCaig, he grew up and schooled in Glasgow in Scotland. And then yeah. now John Romero has now moved to Ireland uh, to work there because of the, the just the appeal of the country. But like, there's a thing where I think, not just within European, but maybe the UK or just the Celts that we are, you know, the Scottish and Irish, it's a determination, I think, or just a fair weather thing you get across there, but we get the hard weather because we grew up in the dirt and the cold. But, like, I mean, I, I, it took me eight years from leaving my job to going through university to grind into freelance and get my qualifications, networking, and now I have my first foot in the door. Yeah. But I just never stopped. And I think I, people always email me, like, there's kids who email me from, like, Australia who are, like, I'm giving up my job and going back to school because you inspired me. And I always think, well, I'm not special. Like, I didn't do anything different. But then... I do look back at my journey and see the steps I took and how I just never gave up at any point. And I think it's a thing where, like you said, if you grew up in tough times or you fall in tough times, it just builds your resilience internally to just keep going and never give up, which is something you're living proof of. And and you're, thank you. And you're, mm-hmm. I believe you're hitting the nail exactly on the head. And that gets to mm-hmm. why I was creating the stories I was for Oddworld, which was yeah. I started figuring out, I was like, I'm probably not going to be a successful even if it, like Hollywood's full, the best writers have probably never been mm-hmm. published. The best direct, mm-hmm. potential directors probably never got the gig, right? Like there's mm-hmm. amazing talent. There's amazing singers and musicians. You just never heard mm-hmm. of them. They never got that break. And there's only so many yep. that can be distributed. But now we live, live in another universe where they can self-publish and great, mm-hmm. right? But uh, Or you can have podcasts and you can become known mm-hmm. as, a, as a, mm-hmm. you know, um, someone that's interfacing between the crowd and specialists and bringing mm. that to people and you, yeah. you, you get exposure. But, uh, mm-hmm. uh, right before that we were saying, sorry, it's still early for me. No, no, <laughs> no again, I get it. It was falling hard times. Makes you a bit resilient to never give up basically. So where I was saying before Yoda became my pillar. Like mm-hmm. I could reflect back almost everything I was experiencing to Yoda. And it was mm-hmm. kind of like, it mm-hmm. gave me a faith without being this institutionalized dogmatic faith of, you know, thousands of years. Not that I'm mm-hmm. rejecting them. It just wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. And I was mm-hmm. like, wow, that gives me something. And in the hardest times, um, that mm-hmm. and a few other things I could do. And I could, I could just go out and I could study nature and I'd start getting answers. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd feel completely overwhelmed, mm-hmm. but then I'd see this, this swarm of ants like, quickly Mm -hmm. dissolving a Snickers bar melting in the sun, you know, and I'd be like, look at how small they are, but look what they just conquered. (laughs) I was trying to find inspiration wherever I could get it just to keep going and not Mm -hmm. give up. And, um, and so I felt like I was looking at the world in 1992 and I was, I was starting to realize that big simulators were going to become commonplace video game machines. And I'd seen that Mm -hmm. world, you know, $14 million, fully submersive tank and uh, Mm -hmm. F-14 simulators, you know, with G forces, crazy shit. And I was like, wow, this is, this is the Nintendo machine just a few years away. I should be looking at games. And so I started really, Mm -hmm. you know, investigating games and stuff, but, you met that Japanese the, guy, right? The guy who done the the, the machines and sold the machines across America, right? Oh yeah, uh, Maya Yoshi-san, yeah. the founder of founder yeah, of Softbank. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes. so it's like I, I'm really lucky. Like I met him; he was the richest guy in Japan. Took us out to dinner. Um, Bill mm-hmm. Gates with the launch of Xbox. There's still a photo I'm trying to get, right? and I didn't have it <laughs> at CES, which uh, is kind of being immortalized on the web as like the last great CES was when Xbox yeah. Microsoft announced Xbox. But in that moment, mm-hmm. 
Bill Gates is on the stage with Seamus Blackley, right? They're about this tall. (laughs) And there's a screen (laughs) this big. And yeah. I'm on the screen you know, like this, right? Like I'm talking <laughs> and like literally, you know, my, my chin was bigger than Bill Gates on the screen. And I was like, oh, where's God. the photo? Who took the video? Like, I, I can't get a photo. The, the only time in my life I was bigger than the richest man in the world. Right? There was oh, the no. proof, you know? And uh, I still have not been able to get a photo of that moment, but I've met yeah. Amazing people of of amazing wealth and and power at different mm-hmm. times, and a lot of times it's not what you expect. Um, I think mm-hmm. my Yoshi-san was like a riot man. That guy, and he was a gamer, right? And uh, yeah. a lot of these people are gamers. Uh, Jensen, he loves graphics, man. I remember you know going into Nvidia, and uh, I was working on a film. He thought he was going to see. Uh, some of the film footage, but it wasn't. He was like, "Yeah, show me the graphics." You know, <laughs> it's like a kid. You know, and this guy's like, you know, he's a multi-billionaire already, one of the world's best mm-hmm. chip designers. So yeah. it was. It was. Uh, f- but but getting back to that, it's like, where's your? What are you pinning your inspirational hope on? And I saw people lose in life. You know, uh, whether it's suicide. Mm-hmm. I've known a lot of people that that's happened to, or drug addictions, mm-hmm. or just mm-hmm. just just giving up. You know, watching it in my own family, yeah. and. Um, mm-hmm. And through that, I was like, huh, how many people are playing games today? What's the average hours of mind share, let's say, in North America alone, right? And I ran this calculation, mm-hmm. how many games, how many average hours of games. And it was about mm-hmm. 60 billion hours of mind share was going into gaming in North America alone wow. in 1992. And I was like, wow. And, you know, at the time, uh, games were starting to get more violent and it was becoming a lot of controversy and politicians were mm-hmm. opportunistically jumping on it. And, um, and I started to be like, this, this can do what Yoda did for me. We can create heroes that aren't the muscle bound superhero you want to be, but more like the schmuck that you probably are. And and I felt that way. And I was like, Mm -hmm. and there, if we can take the guy at the lowest hanging at the bottom of the food chain just dangling right at the very bottom of the food chain but could eventually rise through being more empathetic and more understanding and smarter and never giving up you know not the smartest guy in the shed but a very Mm -hmm. pure heart and then eventually he would rise to change the world and that's Mm -hmm. kind of Mm -hmm. you know what the odd world the concept of the quintology was about and Mm -hmm. so i started shaping characters that i tried to make give younger people inspiration and then mm-hmm. I found it would happen with older people too. Like, I don't know, the story of Alf Gamble, you know, you, mm. you had mentioned this uh, earlier, I, I think, uh, or that mm. was yesterday. Sorry. Sorry. That was mm. my yesterday conversation. Mm. But that was a 70 year old man in, you know, 72 year old man in England who wrote mm-hmm. us this long letter about how this, this game changed his life and saved his life because he was on the verge oh, wow. of suicide. And it was like, how does that happen? How does a 72 year old mm. guy wind up at a PlayStation? And so it was kind of a fascinating story. BBC did a story on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, other, other stories. We've had a lot of stories where people say, this doesn't might not sound right and you might not believe me, mm. but this mm. is how your game gave me hope out of a deep depression where I was thinking. And, mm. and these things would happen. And now there's more parties interested in studying those games to find out what was really going on at a medicinal mm-hmm. level, you know, like at a, at yeah, a yeah, yeah. mental health medicinal level. And for me, it was mm-hmm. really about this is why I was like, how do we. How do we get you to feel more empathetic about characters? How can mm. we throw something that binds characters and not 
not kill them, you know? So instead of throwing a game yeah, yeah, yeah. or throwing a rock or, th- or shooting a bullet, how do we throw a mm-hmm. word? And so just that, phobe, okay. You know, just that there, the Oh, that the was women... the craziest thing as well about Oddworld as well, because I never realized that you voiced Abe. That blew my mind. You voiced him, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Soulstorm, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had to do all the voices. There was no one no one else. Oh, God. Check that out. Yeah, Hopefully yeah. I get some awards for that. That's like, I want the award. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the voice voices. acting awards are coming. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. But, uh, yeah. But so I wanted to create icons. That, and so then I started uh-huh. studying more about mythology, the role of mythology. Uh-huh. Joseph Campbell had a huge influence on me with the hero's journey uh, and yeah. really getting yeah. into there in the Power of Myth series with Bill Moyer that was uh-huh. shot at the library of LucasArts. So I was like, this is this is what I want. You know, I want to figure out how uh-huh. to create modern myths. Uh-huh. And I was like, what are the things uh-huh. that concern me the most? The things that were concerning me was like the deforestation of the rainforest, the burning down. The, the fast food companies basically paying South American uh, gro- ranchers to burn burn their forests and grow cheap meat, right, for the sake of a happy mm-hmm. face meal. And Which I is was still like, happening. Yeah, it's still happening. And uh, <laughs> we, we got all kinds of these challenges, right? So we, we need mm-hmm. to be smarter as a planet um, mm-hmm. and not give in to fear. And fear, mm-hmm. any, anyone who's pushing fear hard, I think, is uh, – you know, really do an analysis on whether they're trustworthy or not, because fe- fear mm. is the method to control people and, and yes. herd them into places that aren't necessarily for their benefit. And um, mm-hmm. so, so it was all about creating iconic characters that mm-hmm. weren't someone that you wanted to be, but maybe you identified mm-hmm. more as who your kind of lost place in the world and through them. Mm-hmm. And this is another reason why I never had uh X number of lives and you die. And then you start over. Mm-hmm. Like this is something I mean, right. I'm a huge, huge uh, respecter. I have mm-hmm. massive respect for Nintendo and, and of course, uh, mm-hmm. Miyamoto. Mm-hmm. But something I didn't like the, about the games was I felt like they were still being designed out of the arcade. And what I mean by that was mm-hmm. the arcade was driving you to put another quarter in. And so it would make you fail within a certain amount of time. So you'd have to keep paying. Mm. And when it was like mm-hmm. three, three deaths and then you start all over, I felt like it was a remnant of the arcade age of quarter, right. you know? And mm-hmm. at the same time, I felt like when I, that would happen to me in a game, I get better, a little better, a little better. And then they just go, mm. hey, you suck, do it all over. I'd be like, fuck mm. this game. And, uh, yeah, yeah. And I was always like a really rabid <laughs> when I was playing games. <laughs> you know, I was, I'm glad I was never on Film Planet because I was just like, you mm. know, angry gamer. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, yeah. But with that, I was like, no, I want infinite tries, more like life, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. infinite tries. And if I can get yeah. infinite tries, you know, what? can I hold on one second? I got a dog scratching yeah, on my of course. door. Okay. And if right. I give infinite I'll, I'll tries, then, then as long as you keep trying, eventually you'll succeed. And that was something yeah. I saw people giving up because there was standards. Oh, thank you. Yeah, she can come in. Come on, worker here. Sit down. This is my chihuahua. <laughs> chihuahua mutt. And, uh, nice. and so if we, could, if we could create experiences where as long as you don't give up, eventually you can exceed, succeed. That was a big feeling. Mm-hmm. And not like you had to have a certain mm-hmm. level of skill to succeed. And this also went to mm-hmm. karma in the odd world games, which, you know, mm-hmm. uh, except for a stranger, they all largely had, right? Mm-hmm. And... Mm-hmm. The karma was a scoring based on, did you do the right thing or were you an asshole about mm-hmm. it, right? And I knew the pattern mm-hmm. of gamers was that they just want to see the next level. 
And I know because, mm-hmm. you know, in our own studio, like people were arguing. It's like, look, man, you want to make me finish the whole game. And we had, to, and these were good, arg- these are healthy arguments. Like mm-hmm. in the creative process, mm-hmm. you really have to be willing to be challenged and listen to your team and, mm-hmm. um, and then try and find the best solution. But I was really being challenged mm-hmm. on this concept. And they were saying, mm-hmm. I'm not going to play a game, get to the end and be told I lost. And I was like, well, mm-hmm. life's like that. Life's like that, right? Why not? <laughs> and if we can make it compelling enough, and because yeah. you know, look, every, the gamer just wants to see the next level, and then they want to get the highest mm-hmm. score. They don't want to find out that they did things wrong way back in the past. And I was like, I disagree, mm-hmm. but I agree that that's where um, the paradigm is for games. And but I think that infinite lives and karma. So how you beat it makes it makes it a big de- uh, determination on what happens to you after that. That's right, blowing so, my mind, on because if you think about that, that's you were like you were almost pioneering the decision matrix that was then introduced in stuff like Mass Effect, where people would make decisions and then the karma would come in. You would then have a good and bad ending, but you were doing that back in what ninety seven. Jesus, well, we Christ. started the game in ninety four. <laughs> it took us to yeah. ninety seven. Wow, built the company, the team, that's crazy. The game, I the think that you were basically inventing that mechanic in a game. Maybe I never talked to the Mass Effect guys to know if they were inspired by it or not, you know. And I do believe in Zeitgeist, yeah. which is basically if you're thinking about it, someone else probably is too. In their yeah, the morphic yeah. field that we live in, right? Mm. But but yeah, thank you. And that but that yeah. was the reason I was like, I think that if we make it so that you were supposed to save. And you mm-hmm. didn't. I don't want to stop you and say, you fucked up. You didn't play right. And that was another th- right. thing I had about Nintendo games was I couldn't do the things I wanted to do because they were keeping it in a, in a very family-friendly realm. You know, like you can't mm-hmm. smack the guy you're supposed to be nice to. <laughs> like I, was, I, was, I wanted to do the things you weren't supposed to do. And so I was like, yeah. I want to have the ability to do the wrong thing and keep going. You know, right. and so so if you didn't save enough Mudakins, eventually the angry Mudakins do you in on the bad ending, and uh, mm-hmm. you know Soulstorm has a different, but it's still the karma and mm-hmm. uh, Exodus mm-hmm. and Munch and Abe's Odyssey had yeah. that, and so that was the idea. But to um, you know, because I was the boss, I got to win the argument. But um, mm-hmm. but you know, the team went along with it, and then eventually mm-hmm. we found people saying, "Wow." Because I got so into the characters, like we were getting uh, executive emails from the publisher going, I never mm-hmm. finished a game, but I finished yours. Mm-hmm. And my wife never plays, but she played it to the end too. And he's like, yeah, why yeah. is that? Or they would tell mm-hmm. me. And I think it's because like I really started to care for those little stupid Mudakins. And then mm-hmm. they'd listen to me and do something for me. And then mm-hmm. they get killed. And I felt terrible about it. And so I was yeah. like, okay, if, if we can get empathy to be a core gaming mechanic. And of course, you know, mm-hmm. Sherry McKenna and I were talking about these things. And she was this mm-hmm. uh, uh, US psychology grad and so she was really interested in like how, you know how you might use these things and how do you use empathy as a gameplay mechanic and so yeah. um you know she had created a few great sound bites around that um mm-hmm. one was you know the paradigm is aggression equals rewards but what if empathy could equal rewards so i was like right. well what if aggression could just get you a doomed destiny <laughs> you know <laughs> but then empathy gets you a real win Mm-hmm. So that was that was what drove No Lives, GameSpeak, and Karma mm-hmm. was was mm-hmm. making games that people contemplated more about their own life, and by doing mm-hmm. it in an artificial, a fantasy world, for lack of a better, an alternate broken mirror world mm-hmm. of our own, where mm-hmm. I didn't have to make fun of McDonald's and someone might be mm-hmm. feeding their kids because that's all they can afford. I didn't want that, 
the real right. world block to arrive with, ah, I don't want to hear this shit. Uh-huh. And so, so uh-huh. instead it gets called Rupture Farms, you know, right. and that was, that was the idea. And I was really heavily inspired by Orwell. So probably the most potent books uh, I'd ever yeah, read yeah, was yeah. Animal Farm, 1984, yeah. and uh, Brave New World by, you know, Aldous Huxley. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you know, those things were conscious in there. And, and a lot of time, a mm-hmm. lot of the industry was like, look, man, we're not making art. We're making games. All right. And I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, well, that's what peep show makers thought. I disagree. <laughs> yeah, thought at the turn of the century when movies were just trains going by and for dime machine, yep. nickel machines on the Chicago boardwalk. You know, they didn't think it was an mm-hmm. art form yet either until, you know, full yeah. feature length movies became the replacement for uh, theater. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm, I'm conscious of your time as well, and I'm not, I want to keep you for too long because I know you've got a, a day to have as well and, and a life out there. So, um, but yeah, we'll maybe we'll maybe try and get you back on at one point and, and talk more because, like, I feel I feel like I feel like if we could, we could talk for hours because it's one of these things <laughs> yeah. where you find you find something too. on the vibe of games. Yeah, the vibe of games and other things you can you just get so lost in it, but it's good because you're passionate, right? That's why yeah. it comes out because you're so excited about stuff and, and stuff. Well, and so, I love so, the yeah, subtext more than the main stories. Of course, like, I, like I love guys, you know, yeah, yeah. So anyway, I didn't. Mean I was going to say, yeah, no, no, but I'm going to say that that's probably where I differ from interviews because you're getting the usual, you know, soul storm after ten years and tell me all about it. But I'm like, dude, psychedelics, like talk about the shamans, <laughs> the acupuncture, like the world yeah. meanings, what's going on. I dive that deep, but then that, I think that's that's where the better conversations come from, right? When you take the surface levels, you know, you're getting asked twenty thousand times, oh, so you go, IGN gave you this score. What do you think about it? And you're like, I don't. I'm like yeah i made the game like what do you think so <laughs> you yeah. tell me what you thought about it didn't ask me um yeah. but yeah yeah so i'm more like try i think i try to get to know the person because even when I interview famous artists i'm trying to dig into like who are you like what makes you tick um mm-hmm. and that's where i think the connection comes out better than yeah the surface level stuff about xbox yeah. PlayStation shit. you should so, interview yeah, andrew um, jones if you haven't yet and, uh, if you can hook up i'm down to interview absolutely anybody you could recommend because yeah i love getting people on here and, and Okay, let me, let me see what I can do. He's busy as hell, but uh, he's really yeah, wise. Everybody he's is. really wise on a, on a on a more fine arts sort of, of uh, intellectual yeah, yeah. level and spiritual level. So he's really interesting yeah, character. I'll try and uh, I'll try and do that for you. But I'd be happy to yeah. come back on. It's a pleasure to talk yeah. to. Uh, of you know, about this, Thank you very much, Lauren. Great questions. My pleasure. Uh, and take care. And just let uh, you, you're connected with Angie, so just let Angie know, and we yeah. can put it on the schedule whenever you want to do it, Gordy. Yeah, of course, man. Well, if you, I mean, if you guys are listening and, and you've got to this part at the end, um, thanks for listening. I know it's been a bit of a longer episode, but again, we've really enjoyed talking, so it's, that's where we are. But um, yeah, if, if you have any questions for Lauren, uh, I'm sure you can reach out at one point or you can check out his games, of course, Oddworld and Soulstorms just came out, so make sure you guys pick it up. And uh, uh, thanks again to Lauren for coming on. It's been a great chat. And uh, yeah, hopefully you guys enjoyed it too. Um, if you're listening, you can check us out on YouTube. We have the video podcast. And then again, we're on our various different sites for Spotify, Google Podcasts, iTunes. Um, so just check us out there as well. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening, guys. We'll, we'll catch you in the next episode. Bye. Bye.